Flight 229, you're clear for takeoff. Just like a flight plan, you have to know where you're going and how you will get there when you plan for retirement. Let Ryan Fleming help you chart out a course for your retirement with his intimate knowledge of financial planning and the airline industry. It's time for the Pilot's Advisor. Well, thanks for being with us for another edition of the show. Walter Storholt here alongside Ryan Fleming, and this is the podcast for you if you are trying to prepare for retirement, for your financial future, and trying to make the right decisions and navigate your way through that sometimes hard-to-understand financial landscape. This is the Pilot's Advisor. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Ryan Fleming, who is a financial advisor at Fleming Financial Group, serving you worldwide from the sky and also in the office in Charleston, South Carolina. You can find us online by going to FlemingFG.com. Ryan, great to chat with you again this week. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful, Walter. I just got back from a trip with my children for spring break, a little cruise out of Charleston, South Carolina. Very nice. What was the uh, the destination? From Charleston is a pretty short cruise just down to the Bahamas. We did Freeport and then Nassau took the kids to Atlantis. So they got to go on all the, the water park rides there. And of course, you know, they had a blast and I was ready to get back to work after three or four days. I bet that's got to just be, uh, I, you know, I've never been on a cruise. It's just one of those types of trips that for some reason I've never done. But I, I've seen the pictures of Atlantis and I can only imagine being a kid going to that place. It just seems like it, that'd probably be heaven on earth as a kid. I think uh, my kids are very, very spoiled. I don't think I left the state that I was born in until I was 14. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I really just try to, to make them realize that, you know, daddy works really hard, but this is why, so they can have these experiences and, uh, you know, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't hurt to have the port in your backyard either. I mean, that, that makes it really easy to hop on a cruise and not have to do the whole travel to the port and all that kind of thing. Well, exactly. I mean, it's not one of the better cruises out there, but it leads right from Charleston. It's easy. I mean, we basically, you know, go drive right to the port, jump on the ship. And when it's all over, you know, drive home. And I've done one, you know, out, out of Miami or Cocoa Beach. And it's a whole different feeling when you get done with the, a cruise, you're exhausted. You finally get to your car and you have a six or seven hour drive ahead of you. Yeah, it definitely changes the dynamic for sure. It's not as fun of a vacation for sure. Yeah, that's pretty pretty funny. And that's coming from someone who's no stranger to travel as well. So you certainly have good perspective on that. Well, we've got a great show on the way for you folks today. So thanks so much for tuning in to the Pilot's Advisor. And we're going to start things off today with a fun quote from Dave Ramsey. I think that name is probably pretty well known if anyone is invested enough in financial sense in the financial realm to be listening to our podcast ryan they've probably heard dave ramsey's name before at least maybe many have even listened to his show or seen his videos online and that kind of thing he's a well-respected name among those in the financial world as a whole and he had a good quote that i think will lead us to some fun conversation today uh, he said the thing i have discovered about working with personal finance is that the good news is that it's not rocket science. Personal finance is about 80% behavior, and it's only about 20% head knowledge. What sort of strikes you about that, that comment and your takeaway from that? Well, the whole reason why I kind of picked this quote out is because I think you know becoming financially independent is all about behavior. And also, I'm just blown away by the fact that this is probably one of the most important things you can learn in your life. And we don't really hammer it down in school. It's not like 
you know, you might have mention of one class sometime throughout your, your whole uh, schooling. And it's probably the most important thing that you could have going forward, you know, budgeting, spending less than you make, et cetera. And we as a society have a real problem with this. Seems like it would be the kind of thing that would be very easy to implement into a school system, just a simple personal finance kind of conversation. I, I can't even really think of political reasons for why just a, a personal finance conversation, you know, would be, uh, you know, a negatively viewed thing in the school community or in the world. I mean, there's just no real negative to having that kind of basic knowledge. Any ideas why it just hasn't been implemented that way? I really don't know. I mean, because it would actually take, you know, pressure off the government tax wise if we had more people that were fiscally responsible, that were, you know, saving for their retirement and ahead of the game versus being in a situation now where we're kind of rescuing most of the public from not preparing. And I think there should be a class at every level. I mean, you know, probably one in middle school to give an introduction into personal finance and, and then one in high school, college. I mean, you know, just at, at a level that's a little bit more exact. I'm searching the uh, banks of my memory to try and remember if I went through anything like this in school. And the only time I can really remember these lessons being taught was actually in elementary school. And I remember we it was a little bit kind of not just personal finance, but also even a little bit of a business exposure. And it's so amazing that this has stuck with me for so long. But it was, I want to say it was fourth grade because my fourth grade teacher was uh, Miss McClintock. She was absolutely incredible. So I'm going to give her the credit. I don't know if this was fourth grade. It may have been a different grade, but we'll give Miss McClintock the credit anyway. <laughs> but we did a, uh, a Friday bazaar, basically, a Friday trade sale or, you know, whatever skill or items, whatever you wanted to make or do. We basically had like a Friday market where you could bring in baked goods, you know, just different types of items from your house, and you would sell them to the other kids in class. And everybody in class started out with, you know, this stack of, and I'm pretty sure to this day, I remember it being purple dollars. And you were given this stack of purple dollars at the beginning of the school year. And it was a year long competition to see who would accumulate, who would make the most money throughout the entire year. But that wasn't the only goal because some people were like, well, I don't want to make the most, but I want to end up with kind of some of the coolest items and coolest things. So you got to decide, do you want to be a saver or do you want to be a spender? And I, I immediately was attracted to the saving mentality. So I didn't buy anything at any of the bazaars all year long. I stayed away from all the amazing chocolate chip cookies and brownies that kids were bringing in and didn't buy anything. And I just sold as much cool stuff as I could. I got my dad to help me make like crafts and you know little ra <laughs> little race cars and just you know and mom was making baked goods with me and we were just you know I was just selling as much as I could and I had this huge huge wad of you purple cash purple <laughs> yes. but two weeks before the, like the count the final count the final week of school i left all those dollars in my pocket and unlike real dollars that can survive the washing machine these purple <laughs> dollars did not and i was completely wiped out and broke two weeks before the end of the school year my purple dollars just completely gone and i did not win the competition but it taught me an important lesson about you know valuing your dollars and about personal finance and just how easy poof you know that can disappear if you're not careful. It was a valuable lesson, but that's amazing that that's the only time I can really remember personal finance really being taught to me in any sort of structured way or informal way than in that way. That's very interesting. 
Well, and the thing I heard of the story, a couple things. Number one, I'm amazed that you can remember something all the way back in fourth grade with such detail. And to include your teacher's name, I always laugh that I can't remember <laughs> what I did yesterday, you know, let, let alone that many years ago. I, I don't um, know why. I do remember a good portion of my uh, of my teacher names, even from the elementary school days. It's just yeah. been – I don't have a fantastic memory, but I think I remember – events really well. I don't remember certain details really well, but then there are some that just really, if they have some sort of vivid thing, like maybe it's the purple money is why that sticks out in my brain so well. Well, and and that's all about how you learn. I mean, the fact that you can remember that event and still hold on to it. So you got something out of that personal finance class or that business experiment that you've taken with you for the rest of your life. Whereas many of your other classmates might not have gotten much out of that and they need another personal finance class to really kind of stick with them. And, you know, for me personally, I can think of, I can't really think of many in the, you know, middle school or high school that really stuck out to me. But one of the ones that kind of changed my life was, I think it was my sophomore year at the uh, Air Force Academy. And there was this instructor and it was an investing class. So it was a little bit, you know, on a higher scale than just straight basic personal finance. But he showed us how you know, just by being responsible, even as you say, go on in your career, how it could drastically change your lifestyle. I mean, this guy was, you know, had a a high paying job and he was in his, I'd say late forties and he was still driving a car that had 250,000 miles on. I don't want to say it was a a Pinto, but I did see a picture of it back then. And it was this nasty brown looking (laughs) thing. And we kind of learned about the millionaire next door. You know, the guy that was willing to eat beans for the you know his 20s so that he could eat steak the rest of his life if that's what he wanted. It's a great point, I think, Ryan, and kind of fun to look back on stories like that. But it's evidence as we get older how there's still a real lack and a real need for this kind of education. I mean, you look, you've got the you know football experience. You've worked with a lot of NFL guys. I mean, rookies that come into the league have to get now it's a little bit different situation because they're getting you know a couple million dollars probably dropped in their laps but still they have no idea how to take care of those dollars and that money in a lot of the cases and that's why the nfl has put a great effort behind trying to establish some personal finance education for the players they now have to don't they go through like classes or a course when they become an nfl rookie to kind of learn how to manage money and the importance of doing so yeah, they have a couple intro classes, and then they also have these advisors now. That well, This is a little bit unfortunate, but they have advisors that pay the NFL money, the NFL Players Association money, so that they can either be a advisor for these players or maybe have some sort of access to these players. The problem I see with it, it's a little bit of a pay-to-play type thing. Yeah. So I don't like that aspect of it because in most cases, that isn't somebody that really wants to act in your best interest it's more of you know advisors that are trying to land a whale but a good story of this is i you know i've worked with a a gentleman for the last few years and i'll you know of course i'll i'm not going to use his name but you know he's not a guy that that's going to make you know 14 million dollars in one season and you know here he is after playing you know three four years in the league he's got some injuries you know every year it's kind of like he's fighting to get another contract and he's currently a free agent you know so he's got injuries he's a free agent and his NFL playing days might be behind him at this point. And he's one of the few that's been very, very responsible and kind of seeing the big picture right away. And, you know, so here you go. Maybe you've put half a million dollars or, you know, $700,000 away over the course of the last few years, which is great. And he's way ahead of his peers. But what's the next business venture? What's your career? 
that's the thing that you got to think about is this type of money that you're making in your mid 20s isn't going to last forever. We focused a lot on the uh, you know early end of our spectrum of life here in this conversation, which I think that's important. The earlier we can learn these things, the better off we're all going to be going forward. But let's talk about those who are, are a little bit closer to retirement or kind of already starting to think about that heavily and laying those plans for what they're going to be doing with that free time in retirement, but they're maybe still struggling with personal finance issues. Do you see that where folks are still struggling to you know do some of the basics that Dave Ramsey talks about, you know, getting out of debt and, you know, getting an emergency fund saved up. Are folks saving for retirement while also still struggling to nail some of these basics? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, mostly you work with couples in the retirement phase and, you know, I'm probably a little bit more uh, educated, you know, I'm a retirement income certified professional. And so working with retirees that are trying to figure out in the distribution phase, how to most efficiently take their money. But I found that every couple that there is a saver and there's a spender. Usually in most couples, there's a saver and a spender. And you can tell right away which is which. The ones where it's they are not ready or not prepared for retirement at all is when you have a spender and a spender that are married because they haven't saved at all. They've <laughs> spent, they've done all these things, but they're not prepared at all. And I hate to say this, I'm a little, I'm not like most financial advisors. I mean, I think a lot of advisors just focus on retirees. They want that person that that's in their, you know, late fifties, early sixties, has accumulated a lot of wealth and, you know, cause it's a little bit more profitable for their business. But I truly enjoy working with younger individuals, you know, whether it's mid twenties or thirties, that are just starting out, that are just starting the accumulation phase of saving for retirement. Because I feel like if I can teach them then, you know, how to come up with a budget and how to stick to it or how to pay yourself first, you know, take that 10% out of your paycheck and invest it because you're going to spend whatever's in your, your bank account. I mean, that's just human nature. So if you can eliminate some of that money from your bank account early and just let the process work, the next thing you know, you're going to wake up in your 50s and you've done a great job saving for retirement. So I just find that if I can reach a person younger and then I know that I'm going to have a more profound effect on their their lifestyle, their family, and their financial freedom, because it's really heartbreaking to, to meet somebody in their 50s or 60s and it's kind of too late sometimes. Yeah, that's a really good point, I think, Ryan. And kind of one more thought here, too, on Dave Ramsey himself. You know, he's viewed as the get-out-of-debt guru, I believe. And it's interesting because I, I talk with a lot of financial advisors across the country, and they all have very, I would say, negative things to say about Dave Ramsey. They view him, I think, as sort of an enemy, as not really kind of laying out the, the real situation when it comes to investing. And I, I think the problem is they will tend to blanket him with just sort of, they don't like the way he gives advice on, let's say, one particular thing, like mutual funds. And so it's sort of, they feel the need that they've got to sort of bash him. But you don't strike me as coming off in that vein. You kind of see some value in what he's teaching and you don't necessarily throw, you know, throw him out there with the, I guess the baby out with the bathwater, I guess is the phrase I'm looking for. No, I think there's a lot of valuable things to learn from Dave Ramsey. And, you know, I've listened to many of his recordings and you know, of course, you know, that was more than a decade ago or two decades even. But I, I think it'd be valuable for any young individual in their 20s or 30s to listen because, but at the same time, I feel like Dave Ramsey's, we're talking to like from a financial advisor, you know, perspective, almost like a middle school or an early high school where, 
hey, maybe you've already made a lot of mistakes. Here's how you get out of debt now. But you know what I want to get a person to do is to get out of debt, do all the things that Dave Ramsey says, but let's move on to graduating high school. Let's move on to you know graduating college and you know actually saving a large amount of money for retirement, not just learning how to get out of debt. So I think it's very valuable, but I want to get to a more graduate level with my clients so that they truly have financial freedom and they're not just fighting paycheck to paycheck. Well, somebody's struggling with that behavior side of things. Remember, it's as Dave Ramsey said, it's 80% is going to be not head knowledge. That's only 20%, but it's going to be behavior. If somebody's struggling to get all those things in line, Ryan, what would you suggest to do today? Well, it's painful, but you know, you got to sit down and I do this with many of my younger clients. It's like, all right, time to budget because what you're doing right now is not working. And as painful as it might be, to write down every time you spend something so someone can actually see where their money's going. You know, whether it's, you know, one of the examples that's always used is the Starbucks coffee. Okay. Well, I tell my my clients I can't afford to to, you know, drink Starbucks coffee. But you start seeing that add up if you get it every morning on your way to work. You know, they talk about that being eighty thousand dollars over the course of your uh, your Oof. career. It just really adds up. So how can we make a few behavioral changes? that can put some more money in your pocket. Because I don't care how much you make, you could still save and actually grow quite a bit of money by just taking 10% or 15% of your income and forgetting about it. Not to start a uh, Starbucks versus Dunkin' versus, you know, whatever other coffee chain conversation, but I did make that change from the Starbucks to the Dunkin' at least. And my bill went down from about 9 to $10 per visit to get a drink and a sandwich to $4. And that was a nice change. And it, well, and it truly adds up. I mean, I've had this conversation with my wife when we were, you know, a much younger couple that, you know, we got to be able to make smart decisions now. And if we can eat beans for the next couple of years, then later on we can have steak or whatever we want for the rest of our lives. But you can't really do it the other way. And, you know, that's one of the lessons to learn. And I think it's a society problem right now because we're away from that generation of, you know, let's work hard and save up for a year to buy this with cash. I mean, this new generation is all about instant gratification, you, you know, running up credit cards and getting it now. You, and You only live once, so enjoy it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and, and I, I get that. This lifestyle is not a dress rehearsal, but when you live your life that way constantly, you get behind the eight ball and the next thing you know, you're having to crack a nut just to pay your basic payments on these credit cards or you bought a house that was too big and you're, and you're so house poor that every month you're literally going more and more into debt. Yeah. And another thing, you know, talking about the debt, I, I was reading something the other day and I might mess up these numbers, but you know, we had the huge 2008 financial crisis and I know like, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs, people that were over leveraged lost houses, cars. I mean, a lot of people were in a bad way. And after that, you know, people kind of learned a lesson. And so then they, you know, they were tracking that people were saving a lot more, putting more money down, like even businesses had less business debt. So everybody's kind of like, oh, that really hurt and started going in a more positive direction and changing their behavior. And then, you know, of course, the market took off and everything started to look good again and everybody's happy. And, and since 2014, We've gone in the opposite direction where people aren't saving as much and now they're taking out more credit card debt. They're buying more stuff on credit, putting less in their 401ks or IRAs. And it, and it just goes to show you that so much about investing and saving is emotional that people, 
you know, make decisions off, you know, their behaviors are off emotion. And if you can take the emotion out of investing and become just strictly disciplined, I talk about unemotionally doing things, then you're, you're going down the right path. Because if you're trying to make decisions based off of how you're feeling right now or what's going on in the market right now, you're normally making the wrong decision. And I just wanted to tell a story. Uh, we brought up the millionaire next door, the guy that you know has a lot more money, but he's driving that old car. I flew with this guy, this pilot. He's been at this company for over 30 some years. And of course, if I flew with him, it's he's at FedEx. He's a FedEx captain. And this guy was hilarious. I got to be really, really good friends with him and flew a lot of routes with him just because I enjoyed flying with him. But this guy had a Casio watch that he was still wearing from like the 80s. And he kept replacing the batteries. I mean, he had one pair of shoes that he wore all the time. <laughs> you know, I always gave him a little bit of uh, crap because he had three shirts that he probably wore on any layover. So, you know, he was the, the millionaire next door that you, you know, taking it to the extreme. You know, this guy makes probably $400,000, $500,000 a year. And he still had the same watch that, you know, a kid would have from the <laughs> 80s. So he was definitely taking it to the extreme. And I, you know, I joked that I wanted to buy him some shoes or buy him a watch. And I don't say that, that, you know, that's wrong because that's fine too. But, you know, like many other things in life, it's about a balance. Unfortunately, most of the time I see the other story of the pilot that's making very good money, but he's living paycheck to paycheck and he's stressed out, not sleeping at night. So anyway, I just wanted to tell that story because you, you do see um, both sides, even in the, uh, the pilot world. Yeah, it's interesting to realize that too, that it, there's two sides to the equation, not just the, hey, I, I can't stop spending, but that there is the other side of the coin too, where f some folks have trouble enjoying what they've you know worked so hard to accumulate and earn, and they kind of <laughs> just go too far in the other direction, and then maybe don't feel that freedom that they should from having you know those assets and from being such a good saver and, and realizing the reward that's there for doing so and being disciplined. So it's interesting to see that. If you've got any questions about what we've talked about today, if you're struggling with some of these personal finance issues in your life, whether you are close to retirement, whether you're still early on, maybe in your working years, and you need some assistance and guidance in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody like Ryan Fleming, I invite you to give a call or text Ryan. He can communicate back and forth with you there to spark up a conversation about how he might be able to help. 843-475-3038 is the number. That's 843-475-3038. Call or text, or you can go to FlemingFG.com. Lots of great resources there on the website. That's FlemingFG.com. That's where you can subscribe to the podcast, listen to past episodes of the show as well. Just click on the podcast button to be taken to that location. Lots of great information there again on the website. Or just shoot Ryan an email as well, Ryan at FlemingFG.com. That's Ryan at FlemingFG.com. It's getting to know you time. Well, it's time to get to know Ryan Fleming a little bit better on today's show. It's so important that Ryan get to know you when you become a client. You come in for that first meeting or that first conversation over the phone. It's usually a fact-finding mission for Ryan to get to know your goals, dreams, and wants a little bit more so that you guys can put together the best plan possible. We think it's also important that you get to know who you're working with in the other direction as well. That's why we have the Getting to Know You segment of the podcast each time. And I've come up with random questions. Sometimes they're funny 
funny and goofy. Sometimes they're more on the serious side. Ryan never really knows what I'm going to go with in terms of a direction on these questions. So it's just a fun way to get to know him a little bit better. Ryan, an interesting one for you this week. If you could nominate one person that you've known for sainthood, who would it be? Always put me on the spot. (laughs) Um, Actually, this is an easy question for me right now, just the timing of what's going on in my life. As many of my clients know and many of my close friends know, I recently lost my father. And my stepmother, Garnet, is definitely nominated to sainthood. As a matter of fact, we've actually used that word, my sister and I, talking about her because my father's been going through a lot of, uh, or had been going through a lot of health issues over the last, I don't know, five to eight years. And this woman has literally, you know, done everything for him, been right there for him, taking him to all his doctor appointments and, you know, just truly, just truly caring for him. And my sister and I were talking about it. I have an older sister and she's actually married to one of my teammates that I went to college with. I know that's weird. <laughs> a new a new level of brotherhood. But anyway, go. we were actually talking about Garnet and how, you know, we've got to witness and see just a whole nother level of love and caring for a person. So Garnet, if you're out there, you're very, very special and we nominate you into sainthood. Well, that's pretty cool. And you said and, and that's your your stepmother too. I mean that's amazing that you can kind of I don't know, be blessed with, you know, a wonderful stepmother. I mean, a lot of people aren't fortunate to have a good relationship with a, a step parent. Well, and yeah, she, and it, it goes beyond that. She never had any kids. So hmm. she's kind of gotten to adopt us, whether she likes us or not, you know, and she's a great woman and it, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, she's got a great personality. And as a matter of fact, we just got, went on a cruise with my, uh, my kids for their spring break and we took Garnet with us. You know, she's newly widowed and we just thought it'd be appropriate to get her away from the house and all the, the things that she's dealing with right now. So we we took her on the cruise and she helped out with the kids and I'm sure she was ready to get away from her kids. Yeah. And uh, and, and on a, a lighter note, Garnett, a very cool name also, just totally side note, not as you know, serious as impactful as what you just talked about, but I love the name Garnett. I, it's not one I've heard as a kind of a first name very often. Yeah, it's it's a very cool name, and of course, it leads to a lot of a lot of nicknames. Of course, her her personality <laughs> leads to a lot of uh, nicknames as well. But we call her G Unit, GG. <laughs> you know, I mean, I could go on and on. I'm Some sure she. I'm sure she loves that, right? <laughs> <laughs> She's Sicilian. She's Italian and Sicilian, and maybe maybe five feet tall. Maybe. Oh so, my gosh! This sounds like an awesome person. Oh, she's a lot of fun. My nine-year-old daughter is already taller than her, so it's it's just hilarious. Oh, that is very cool. Well, Garnett, as uh, Ryan said, we nominate you for sainthood, and thanks for being such an amazing soul, it sounds like. And I feel like there's a movie here that needs to be made about Garnett. Just from the small (laughs) details you've told me already, there's some good stories that I'm sure we would uncover if uh, we we maybe did a a whole podcast on Garnett and and her life. Just sounds like such an interesting person. So thanks for bringing that to light and sharing that with us, Ryan. She's never met a stranger. We love you, Gigi. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you.
Time to answer another one of your questions from the cockpit here on the Pilot's Advisor. You can submit your questions, by the way, by going to FlemingFG.com. Look for the contact button. My kids will start going to college in about four years, says Jim in Tennessee. Jim says, I currently have all of their college savings in technology stocks. Should I diversify and what should I diversify to? I hear we're expecting a recession in the next year or two, so I want to make sure I'm positioned properly to weather the storm. But also want to add some more return to the coffers in that time frame. So Jim, like everybody out there, wants to have his cake and he wants to eat it too. Sounds um, about right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I first tell him to uh, go research the tech crash and what happened there since all his money's in the uh, technology stocks. So, okay, to be serious now. So what I would tell Jim is he's got way, way, way too much exposure, not only in one sector of technology, but also because the time horizon of his kids is coming up soon, you know, in the next four years, we really probably need to be less aggressive with his investing you know, we still want it to grow, but we don't want to have some sort of uh, market correction drastically affect his ability to help his children fund their college. So the things I would talk to Jim about, Jim, I recommend you becoming much, much more diversified. So rather than just one, you know, sector, let's get it invested across the whole market, across all the different asset classes. And I try to tell people this, don't focus on sectors focus on asset classes because in each asset class, it covers almost all the different sectors in most cases. So you're much more diversified and less, uh, you have less exposure to that, that, just that sector. And then also, you know, we talked about the time horizon with it only being four years. We probably need to pull back the throttles a little bit, you know, rather than being at mill power, you know, running around at Mach 8.4 here trying to hope for the best. It's time to go into long, long range cruise here and uh, start getting ready for college coming up. A lot of people, and, I feel like, fall into this into this boat, though, right? Just trying to, you're always still trying to get the most you can out of it and not re- kind of losing focus on, is the mission already accomplished, which it is here. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I, you know, started out with, you know, they want to, you know, have it and eat their cake, too, or what have you. Just because everybody wants all the returns, but they don't want any of the downside. And for any any investment out there, there's a downside potential. I mean, you got to look at the the standard deviation on each side. You know, the potential is it could go up 12%, but it could also go down 20%. So you really have to weigh the risk with which your your goals are. And of course, you know, I talk about the time horizon of your money. When do you need your money? And the closer it is to when you actually need your money, you need to be less risky. Jim, hopefully that is helpful information for you. And if you've got your own questions about financial planning, you can certainly run those by Ryan Fleming by picking up the phone and calling or texting Ryan at 843-475-3038. That's 843-475-3038. And always online at FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. Ryan, thanks for uh, captaining our podcast here yet again on the Pilot's Advisor, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks a lot, Walter. I appreciate it. And to all you pilots out there, I know you guys think you're the best at everything. I'm a pilot myself. But remember, great pilots are made, not born. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.